again, God's with us. And uh, I'd like you to turn, if you've got a Bible tonight, to Luke chapter 5 for a few moments. Luke chapter 5. And uh, we believe that God will just uh, minister to us in the power of his name tonight as we just come to the word. I'm going to read the first 11 verses Uh, I'm reading from the New International Version, and then we'll share something uh, from this word tonight um, that I trust will speak to us. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon or Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon said, Master, we've worked or toiled hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. That is a word that... um, Some of you would have read before. It's a great little story. And uh, thank you. And uh, I believe that um, as we conclude tonight our series called Arena DNA, it actually is a prophetic word right into the heart of this church at this particular time. And I want you over the next few minutes that we're just going to spend around the word to see the progression of this story and see what God is doing amongst us. And I felt even tonight that as we worshipped and Julie and Paul led us with the team so well, that there was a hunger rising up uh, amongst us uh, for God to do something. I want to say, friends, that spiritually God wants to do what he did in this particular story. He wants to do things that would cause cause us to be astonished. He really does. He wants to move in these, in these days in ways that would surprise us, even shock us. You see, it's very easy for us all at times, even in a relatively new context like we find ourselves just eight or nine months into this particular journey of the repurposing of Arena Church Mansfield, to even in those particular times think, well, it's good, isn't it? You know, great night on a Sunday. We made some new friends. There's a fresh atmosphere in the church. But the reality is we've only just started. And God wants to do something that's way beyond what we've even thought or imagined. So over the last nine, ten weeks, and we've had some visiting ministry, which we've been blessed by in the midst of that, we've been looking at what we've called arena DNA. We've used that word that is common language amongst us nowadays. We often hear about DNA analysis. It's transformed criminology and investigation. And even this week, uh, some of you may have read the story, the tragic story of 18 years ago of uh, the uh, the. Uh, uh, um, young man that was uh, killed in South London all those years ago, Stephen Lawrence, simply because uh, he was uh, black in his skin. 
And even this week, uh, two men who have been uh, under um, accusation of this for many lo- um, a long time have now been brought back to retrial because of DNA analysis that's proved there. It uh, seems to be proving that they were close to the scene of crime. So lots of things taking place. The reality is, the fact is that your DNA biologically is individual to you. Uh, there's, there's no one like you. And God says in the Bible that there's no one like you. You may be a twin. You may be a triplet. You may be a, a quad, whatever it is. But you may be all of those things. You may be the youngest of 17 or the, the oldest of nine or whatever it is. You may be the one in the middle, never the oldest, never the youngest, but always left out. But I don't care where you are. God says that you are special. He's not bothered what anybody said over you. He's not bothered if people said you'll never make anything of your life. He wants to make something of your life. He's not bothered if people have pushed you down or downtrodden you. He doesn't push you down or downtrodden you because he has He's planned your days. You have got an amazing destiny in God. He has orchestrated your days. We're not even here by chance tonight. God's poured us all together. Different temperaments, different journeys, different expressions of faith, different times when we came to Jesus. Pulling us all together and wrapping a bow of love around us and saying, that's a group of people that I'm going to work with together at this particular time. It really is amazing. And the fact is, friends, that God is sowing something into our church. And and, uh, we've been trying over the last number of weeks to seek to define something of what we are. We're not saying that that means that we're perfect or better than anybody else. But this defines something of what we are. We really will live and die for these truths that work out in our lives. So we talked about passion. We talked about discipleship because we don't want people just to be believers. We want them to be devoted followers of Jesus We talked about generosity. And mean-spirited Christians, friends, are the complete opposite of a generous-hearted God. It just doesn't match. We talked about unity and faith. We talked about mercy and aspiration. And last week we talked about team. We talked about working together. And we talked about the fact that, that God wants every one of us to be part of what he's doing. Everybody's got a part to play. And we really do believe that God wants all of those things to be operative in our lives to help us to go forward. And all of this works out of a spirit of partnership, a spirit of togetherness, a spirit where we join our hearts that beat us one to be Arena Church Mansfield. And this particular story finds Jesus using a boat on the edge of the Lake Gennesaret as a pulpit. The people were crowding in, so he said to Peter, just push the boat out a little bit further. And from that boat, he began to minister and teach the word of God. I've preached in some peculiar places at times. I preached on the top of a tower of an Anglican church once, way up. It was called, interestingly, the tower service. And right up there, you couldn't see anybody. You just got a mic and you had to climb this rickety old uh, ladder to get up there. And uh, it's right on the top of Salston, if some of you know that village at all. It's one of the highest points in Nottinghamshire. And you're just speaking out to the open air. But down below, the hundreds of people for this uh, very traditional tower service. Spoke in a number of places. Spoke in prison. Thankfully, they let me in. And praise God, they let me out. You know, and uh, pretty frightening experience. Even more frightening in a school assembly. It's far worse than prisons. And... Uh, You know, he managed to sort of survive those, all sorts of different contexts. But here's Jesus speaking from a boat. And when he finished, he was hungry. You see, Jesus 
expressed his humanity on many occasions in the Gospels. And so he said to Peter, why don't you just push the boat out a little bit further into the deeper water, drop the nets for a catch of fish. I want you to see over the next few minutes a progression of responses that brings us to a place of God doing something amazing. Something amazing then, something amazing now. You might say, well, not really into fishing, not quite sure where this fishing story is going. There's nobody not more into fishing than me, so don't worry. Okay, I just don't get it. And if you're a fisherman tonight, then, you know, that is absolutely fantastic. But I just don't get it. I went fishing once. I was about eight years of age. We used to live in Nottingham. Our next door neighbours were Mr. and Mrs. Sharrock, Mr. And Mrs. Sharrocks. And Mr. Sharrocks worked at Raleigh Industries. Some of you would know the bike making firm for years. And he was a fanatical fisherman. So every weekend in the fishing season, he was out there. He said to me, mum once, would Phil like to come fishing with, with me? And uh, before I'd got a chance to say yes or no, my mum says, yeah, he'd love to, you know. So off we went. I remember it now. We went to Attenborough Gravel Pit on the bus fishing. And it was cold. It was rainy. It always seems to be cold and rainy when people go fishing. And what put me off, friends, was that without any sense of hesitation, Mr. Sharks is throwing the, the thing into the water, the, the line. And uh, he got his bait next to him. And his bait was maggots. He'd also got his uh, cheese and tomato sandwiches and without any sense of hesitation, it was sandwich, maggots, bum, doof, no problem. And I thought, this is my first and last time of fishing. I don't get it. I really don't. And uh, I've spoken to people that have tried to convince me it's the greatest pastime, it's the biggest participatory sport in the country. I understand all that. Bob Nutt, I think he's the guy that is the real good fisherman, he's on the telly. So I'm not into fishing, but the reality is that this fishing story has got something to say to us. Because right at the end of it, Jesus said to a fisherman, you will no longer fish fish, you will fish men. It's what Josh has been talking about tonight, that God has called every one of us to fish. And those of you that are into fishing will know that bait is very, very important. And, uh, and we need to be crafty in the right sense of the word. I use that in the right sense of the word. Wise in how we throw out bait so that fish will lash onto it and they will be one for the Lord. So, so the, Jesus gives this command. I want you to notice firstly there had to be an overcoming of reason. Because in verse, um, in verse cha- uh, 4, uh, when Jesus, had been told, uh, Jesus told Peter to put down the nets, he said in verse 5, and you've got to sort of find some sort of irony in this. Sort of read between the lines a little bit. Master, see the raised eyebrow. Have you seen Carlo Angelotti, by the way, with that raised eyebrow? If you ever see match, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Watch it tonight if, you, if you're like into that. You know. But he, the raised eyebrow went up and he says, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing. In other words, you do not know what you are talking about. Because if you knew what you were talking about, you would know that we've been fishing all night. Because in this particular culture and climate and context, the best time to get the fish is at night time. And here's Jesus in the middle of the day saying, hi guys, let's go and go fishing again. They were tired. He said they'd been cleaning the nets. How demoralizing it was that they were cleaning the nets and they not caught anything. But Jesus says, we're going to go again. We're going to have another go at fishing. And reasoning was kicking in 
all over the place. Peter saying the best time to fish is at night time. We put the effort in and we're looking hard. And the teeth were getting closer and closer together. It's not going to happen. We're going to look fools again. And now we're not even under the cloak of darkness. Everybody's watching us make a fool of ourselves. I want to say, friends, that God's not called us to be fools in terms of being stupid for the sake of it. Some people, like this bloke yesterday, I mean, how many times, friends, we've got to tell folks not to try and second guess when Jesus is coming again. It's bounced all over the internet, and the guy's in hiding today. I bet he is. All right. (sighs) May 21st, 2011, the Lord's coming again. No, he's not. We all knew he wasn't. We all knew it wasn't. I tell you, even if God had said in the history of time that he was going to send Jesus yesterday, I'm telling you, God was going to change his mind at the last minute to pull that bloke, the rug from under that bloke's feet. I'm telling you. So we get people doing stupid things. But here's what God says. God's called us to be false for Christ. God's at times called us to do things that defy logic and reason for the cause of doing what he's asked us to do. And so... We need to recognize tonight, firstly, that there has to continually be an overcoming of reasoning in our lives. We can't let the past define our future. Our past positions us for what God's got ahead. And when we understand that, we realize that nothing is wasted. And the fact of the matter is, friends, that in the journey of this church, we could have got to a place of allowing the past to define our future. And we didn't do it. We saw that our past, we thank God for it, for people sowing faithfully into the ground, for people loyally serving the church, for people being an expression of the testimony of God. We saw that it positioned us for all that God has got in the future. And therefore, and I say particularly tonight to people that have been faithful around the church in Mansfield for many years, when you see that, you realize that nothing of the past is wasted. There is nothing where you can say it's been a waste of time. No, it hasn't. It positions us for all that God wants us to do in the future. Where the challenge comes, friends, is it's different from the past. And as Christians, we all, uh, many of us at times, want it to be the same as the past. It never is. God's always stirring something up, like saying, we're going fishing again, guys. We're going fishing again. An overcoming of reason. An overcoming of the fear of man. An overcoming of failure, an overcoming of self. There was an overcoming of spirit in these people's hearts. Number two, I want you to notice that there was an obedience of hearts. Verse, verse uh, five again. We taught all night, Lord, and caught nothing. But because you say so, I will. B-Y-S-S-I-W. Because you say so, I will. Let down the nets. And God speaks to us. God speaks in so many ways. Those of you that have been Christians, maybe just a short space of time, are beginning to learn that God speaks. He doesn't normally speak through an audible voice. He speaks through the word of God. 
He speaks with that little nudge and whisper and impression and opening in your heart. Feel God saying this to me. He speaks, friends, about repurposing. He speaks about relocation. He speaks about a re-envisioning of what he wants to do. He speaks into things at times that appear to be dying that he might give life. He speaks about dropping the nets into another place. He speaks about let's go again because I've not finished with this church. He speaks about what he wants to do. Not only what he's done in the past, but what he wants to do in the future. And many times we can still be in a place of fear and reason, saying, I'm not sure if it's going to work out, I'm not sure if it's going to work out. But because you say so, I will. And the obedience of heart, friends, always brings us to an implementation of action. Imagine when we started on the 5th of September last year at Arena Church Mansfield in the Kevin Bird Conference Suite. We had to go through the tension, that's leadership, that's people, we had to go through the tension that nobody was going to come. Nobody was going to come. Could have just been Christian and me. Maybe Sharon and Caroline and the kids. That's four, five, that's six of us. Nobody else was going to come. Nobody was going to say, yeah, I'll pitch up and lead worship. Yeah, I, I'm in for the ride for 12 months. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm believing that God's going to do. In other words, we always have to step into that tension of what we think God said may not bring a response. That's the obedience of hearts, which leads us thirdly to the operation of faith. Because then in verse 6, it says this word, when, when, when they had done so, done what? Drop the nets, stop speaking through gritted teeth, stop saying that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about, stop pushing back on the word of the Lord to their hearts, stop resisting the Savior. When they had put it into action, something happened. And it was an operation of faith. I don't know how faith works for you. But sometimes people seem to think that faith turns us into Christian super people. You know, I've got a word of faith. Bring it on. It doesn't work like that for me. Often for me it's, oh, I wonder if it's going to be okay. But I've got a word of faith. Paul went to the Corinth church in faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And said, I come to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. This is one of the greatest apostles that's ever lived. And sometimes, friends, I'm Moses, Gideon, and Jeremiah all rolled in one. You know, God, if you don't show up, we're sunk. And yet God keeps, and he keeps doing it to you, pushing you and pushing you and pushing you to take steps of faith. When you're in that place, you are utterly dependent upon God to bring about what he said in your life. Let me just give you three things that faith does. Faith distinguishes See, faith people are standout people. They're not part of the crowds. Something determines them and defines them, and it's called faith. Faith not only distinguishes, but it extinguishes. It extinguishes doubt and disbelief. And uh, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And faith relinquishes our insecurities. To move on to all that God has got for us on the operation of the obedience to the word of the Lord. If you've never become a Christian tonight, there's got to be a when in your life. When you commit your life to Jesus and make him Lord of your life, your sins will be forgiven and he'll begin to give you the adventure of following him. If tonight you're a Christian and you want more of God, when you keep responding to God... 
God will keep showing up in your life. Sometimes it'll be a gulp. Sometimes it'll be stepping into a question mark. Sometimes you'll be thinking, what if? Sometimes it'll be, Lord, if you don't do... But you know that God's spoken to you. If tonight you want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues, it's when you become thirsty and when you begin to respond to God that that begins to happen in your life. It's when we respond to the Lord that things happen. And friends, I believe right from the word go in the repurposing of this church, it's been characterized by a spirit of faith. There's been something around us, over us, in us, that's saying we believe in God to do something that is absolutely amazing. The fourth thing is, which brings me really to the very heart of what I want to say tonight, is that having overcome reason, having had an obedience of heart, having operated faith, there came an overwhelming supply. Because it says that when they had done so, in the daytime, in a time that defied logic, in a time that wasn't best of fish, when they had obeyed Jesus, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come out and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Peter said, I'm a sinful man, Lord. And all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. It's a prophetic picture, friends, of what God wants to do over Arena Mansfield. It's a prophetic picture of people responding to God, overcoming how they think it ought to be done, obeying what Jesus says, putting faith into action, and seeing God give a catch that only he could bring about. We thank God for all that we've got. We thank God for what we've got here in the church tonight. But there are hundreds and indeed thousands of people in this big circle around Mansfield, into the Ashfield area, up to the Dukeris, across to the M1, this big circle of people, thousands of people that are still part of the shoal of fish that Jesus wants to catch unto himself. We've been saying, well, oh, no, it could never happen. It's, ne- it's never happened before. It's, it's never going to happen in the future. We could be defined by what we've been in that robs us of what we've got going into the future rather than it positioning us for what God has got for the future. And brothers and sisters, I want us to bring to a conclusion in a few moments this message with a great spirit of faith rising in our hearts to believe that God can give us in these days a catch of fish that will be utterly astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. And what happened when the catch of fish came? Well, it says in verse 7 that they signaled to their partners in other boats to come and help them. In other words, friends, whatever God's doing today, we can't do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. There's been a number of references made over the last few weeks, even months, to a book on leadership secrets by Billy Graham, the greatest gospel evangelist of the 20th century. The reality was, friends, that whilst he was the front man for the great declaration of the good news of Jesus, it was fascinating reading the book that it actually came out of team. It came out of people partnering for the cause of reaching the ends of the earth with the good news of Jesus Christ. I hope you've heard our hearts over the last 
few weeks and months. Because whilst God individually loves you with a passion, and has got a specific purpose for your heart, it will never be independent of the body of Christ. He has called us to work together. He has called us to be partners. He has called us to stand shoulder to shoulder for the cause of the great catch. Here's what somebody said. The word partnership refers to fellow workers who have the same vision, values, heart and kindred spirits. They join each other as partners in the work of ministry. They share a common commitment to extend the kingdom of God. These people walk with their senior pastors to accomplish the dreams and goals God shares with them. They're like Timothy and Barnabas and Silas who partner with Paul and they're like the partners Priscilla and Aquila. They are people God has joined together to accomplish the vision that God has given to them. And one final quote. Every church must discover its destiny. Every church must discover its reason for existence and its strengths. Let me just stop there for a moment. I don't want to be edgy. I don't want to be rude. But you could go to many churches tonight and say, what is the reason for your existence? They've lost it. They've lost it. The reason for existence is because I'm the church warden and I open up at six o'clock every Sunday night. And I close at 20 past seven and well be tired, it's 22 minutes past. They do it, friends, because they've done it out of form. And I honor some of those people, amazing, faithful people. But if we lose the reason for our existence, we lose the reason for our being. Every church must discover its destiny, its reason for existence and its strengths. It's vision set and around, not my words, this is somebody else's words, it's vision set around an essential DNA which becomes the recognizable characteristics of the church. That DNA determines, is determined by being with God in prayer. It's a DNA, friends, that expresses itself in passion and discipleship, in generosity and unity, in faith, in mercy aspiration and team it's a dna that says the church works together and i don't believe tonight that we're here just because it's a bright idea i don't believe friends that we we, we're doing anything tonight out of a sense of desperation i believe tonight friends that we're here because we've rediscovered our reason for existence we're here tonight because god's brought a repositioning of our hearts and lives. We're here tonight where where people have said, Lord, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. God says, I know. I know. But let's just go out into the waters. And I'll tell you what, let's have another go. Let's have another go. And if we'll have another go on the reality of my word, then I will give us a catch that is so overwhelming and so amazing and so mind-boggling that you would not believe it. And when God begins to work like that, friends, he's going to need every one of us standing together, shoulder to shoulder, as partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make sure that every person that he has determined would come to him would be caught into the nets and discipled for the course and blessing of the kingdom. Arena Church, heartbeat, the very thing that causes us to throb is that we are growing a unique and welcoming community bringing hope to the world, developing passionate and devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who displays character and live by his power to do the impossible. That is ordinary Christianity, as one Christian writer once wrote. And I just want, friends, at the end of tonight to challenge us 
Uh, and I, I'll just bring that to a conclusion in a moment. I want to remind us that if you've never taken the partnership booklet that's available on the table there, I want you to take it home. It's not about Elkiston, it's about arena. It could be arena, it could be arena anywhere. It could be arena on mainland Europe. It could, I'm talking to someone this morning, a Bible college student that came into our church. I had a bit of a laugh with him. I says, when are you and your fiancé going to pitch up Arena Church so you can go and plant a church for the Lord? Wherever it is, friends, whatever God's got for us, because you see, Arena Church is not defined by its local geography. The mandate upon the church is Jerusalem, where we live, Judea, regional, Samaria, cross-cultural, and then to the ends of the earth. I love that, because if any church was tempted to put a limit on mission, Jesus detonated it at that very moment it may be that from this church as people grow in their faith mature young people here tonight that have supported arena mansford on a sunday night brilliantly over the last number of months it may be that over the next few years god's going to stir something in your heart not going out on your own not going out to get killed as it were sort of because you're isolated but under the covering leadership of arena church actually say god's spoken to me god's determined something in my heart so it's not determined by here it's not determined by just down the uh, m1 at junction 26 it's determined by what god is building amongst us so that we can bring in an amazing shoal of fish and it may be that you thought yeah i don't know whether i want to be part of this church but you've been coming a few months now and actually you do want to be part of it you like it it's okay we like it but you like it you know we want you to like it. We want you to belong. We want your friends to nail your colours to the mass. We want you to say, I'm a partner with these people. I'm a partner with these people. I want to stand with these folks. And if that's you, I want you to take a booklet. I want you to read it through. I want you to come back and, and, uh, and get a response form over the next week or so from Christine. And I want you to say, that word that night spoke to me. I don't want to just be out there. I don't want to just be coming I want to say that when that shoal of fish comes, when that catch comes, you can count on me to be a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to say, friends, we need everybody here. Paul mentioned in another context this morning that we don't have to wait until we're perfect before God can use us. That's really good because every one of us is still on a journey. You may have only been a Christian a few months. You may still have lots of questions. You may still be trying to find your way around the Bible. You may still be sort of saying, well, I can't pray like him. Well, don't pray like him. Pray not as you can, pray as you can't pray as you can. You may still have things that you're still trying to work through in your life. But there is something pumping in your heart that says, I want to serve God. And more than that, I want to serve God with these people. I want to serve God with this church. I found home. I found where I belong. I found where I'm a partner. I love the DNA. I want to be part of this church. And I want to tell you, friends, that God has not brought us together. Thank God for this. But he has not brought us together just for this. As Jimmy Cricket says, there's more. There's more. There's more. And I don't want you to be defined tonight by just your, any, and I don't want to be defined by any sense of limitation. There is more. Will you join us tonight on the journey, the prophetic journey that's already taken place? The prophetic journey that honored faithful people across this fellowship that had served God. Faithful people that maybe just looked at themselves at times and looked in my eyes and sort of, can we carry on like this? God says, it's okay. Because we're going to find just another place to fish. It's deep waters. And if we'll drop the nets there, if we'll overcome faith and reason about what if it didn't work out, 
But it's not a proper church building. People won't come. We won't have the money to pay the rent. All those things have gone through mine. But we operate an obedience of heart that says, because you say so, I will. We launch out on an operation of faith that says, when we put these things into happen, somehow God begins to work. It brings us to a place of overwhelming supply. The boat's absolutely rammed with fish. That's the heart, friends, of Arena Church. Arena Church Mansfield. And wherever Arena Church finds its expression. And you can be part of it. By God's grace, we can work together to see all that God wants to do for his praise and for his glory. Let's pray.